Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Mind Body Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I'm super grateful that you're here again with me today. Today's interview is probably the most powerful interview I've had on the show to date. I reached out to Miss Elaine Jeffy, who is a mind body coach. And she has her healing wall of victory story up on Steve Ozanich's YouTube wall. She healed from more than 50 years of chronic pain and symptoms. She was even diagnosed with an autoimmune illness, psoriatic arthritis, at the age of 38. She also had a laminectomy in her mid-50s that was unsuccessful. And her journey out of the trenches of this long list of chronic symptoms is nothing short of amazing. Her recovery inspired her to begin a new career as a mind-body coach. She owns and runs Your Key to Healing, and I'll link to her website in the show notes. And most of her life, her symptoms were largely invisible. And I think most of you can uh, identify with that because when you're in chronic pain, you can't really see it or nobody really can understand the level at which you hurt. Now, in this particular interview, you'll hear right away that her current symptom cannot be hidden because it is, uh, it has taken up residence in her vocal cords. And so she shares this, the wisdom that she's gleaned from this bodily messenger of hers. And so her story today is just a shining example of how we can all mine for gold within our body's divine messages. And also how we can simply honor the symptoms that are there and be with them and let them be there however long it takes. I found that my hand was on my heart for much of this interview. Elaine and I were both moved to tears um, at one point during the interview and I cried while listening back to it. And so her powerful interpretation of what her body is trying to communicate through this TMS teacher of hers is just such a powerful message of what it means to gather the courage to speak your truth, even if your voice is shaking. So thanks to Elaine for sharing your time with me. I could have spoken to her for hours. And so uh, without further ado, we'll just hop right into the interview today. Here is Elaine. So 
So I'm here today with Elaine Jeffy. You may recognize Elaine from Steve Ozanich's Healing Wall of Victory. She's block number 16. She is now a mind-body coach and helps folks find their key to their own healing through the wisdom of her own amazing story. She has graciously offered to share her story once again for all of our listeners today. So I'm just really thrilled to have you on the show today, Elaine. Welcome. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Yeah. So Elaine, I just kind of want to have you share your story. And it doesn't have to be exactly like the Healing Wall of Victory story. You can kind of share what's um, important about your story, either old parts or new parts, whatever you feel called to share. Um, so yeah, so whenever you're ready. Thanks. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying I will start with the older part of my story and get into the newer part of my story, which has to do with my vocal cords, and you who are listening may notice that I have some issues with hoarseness and so forth. So we'll get back to that. But to start, I began technically my mind-body healing journey about seven years ago. However, I had experienced chronic painful symptoms since the age of five. And I, yeah, I remember my father was a physician and I remember asking him um, or talking to him about how much my legs hurt all the time and him trying to quote figure it out Mm -hmm. and there was no reason that he could figure out and I got used to feeling a lot of discomfort in mostly my calves and knees at that time so as my life went on I just didn't worry too much about discomfort, even though it was probably talking to me mm-hmm. all the time. But I was a little kid, and I played, and I remember playing handball and roller skating, and wow, it hurt. Mm. But, you know, I wasn't going to sit it out, and <laughs> so I kind of became probably almost too stoic. And I think it led to a huge mind-body disconnect, Mm -hmm. which was established very early in life. So I think that's kind of important in retrospect. Well, I was a musician, and I started to play the flute when I was eight, and I was very intense and very passionate about what I did, I grew up in Los Angeles, where by the time I was 10 or 11, I knew a lot of other kids 
who were passionate about their instruments, too. And we were kind of obsessive about practicing, performing. So I was a bit of a prodigy. Mm. And I I remember loving what I did. I don't believe anyone pressured me to do it. But that was the beginning of huge self-pressure for me because I pressured myself. So by the time I was 12 or 13, I was practicing five hours a day. Yeah, I was performing, (laughs) but I was part of a peer group that were also doing that. So it wasn't just me. But still, there was a big payoff because it was also the most fun I'd ever had. Sure. So it was the most work plus the most fun, and plus with the type T, tension personality, it was, um, I think I just learned to carry an awful lot of tension and self-judgment, but it could have been sports, it could have been drama, it could have been who knows, Mm -hmm. and maybe it would have been the same thing. So at any rate... I got married young. I had three children. All the while, they probably, when they were in the womb, probably thought that the world sounded like a flute. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I was just playing so much. Wow. But by the time I was a young mother with the three kids trying to practice as much as I had before, well, something kind of had to give. Mm-hmm. And I tried to live a little more balanced life, but I didn't really. There was always that need to excel mm-hmm. and to practice, where after a certain point, I truly believe now but it's not the quantity, it's the quality. Right. We don't need we don't need to do that. Right. But I couldn't see that mm-hmm. at that time. So I'd say by the time I was thirty, I had developed a many um, mind body symptoms which I I had a strange feeling that these symptoms were tension-induced. Yeah, I don't know if it was intellectually processed by me, Mm -hmm. but I'd look at the people I performed with, and I'd see people who were like me, and then I'd see the people who were more relaxed. And I could see... Yeah. That they weren't. Yeah, I just felt something. I felt that it had to do with my personality, my intensity, and so forth. But yet, it was still the most fun I'd ever had. Right. So, you know. <laughs> but yeah, if that sounds like fun. But <laughs> there's a, there's a payoff when you've paid your dues. Absolutely. And you can just yeah, you can just have. You can 
you know, and that was my source, primary source of income, right? Too. But throughout my thirties, I developed carpal. I'll try to remember all the <laughs> quote diagnoses: carpal tunnel, trigger finger, trigger thumb, repetitive stress or strain injury, thoracic outlet syndrome, tendonitis. Um, those were the first diagnoses, mm. and then they they sent me to a rheumatologist. I was in my late 30s, and she said I had psoriatic arthritis because I did have some psoriasis, mm-hmm. that autoimmune skin disorder. Right. So that labeled me, mm-hmm. and I chose not to do any of the treatments, the injections, and... Um, I tried the NSAIDs, mm-hmm. anti-inflammatories, and I didn't like them. So it was affecting my performing quite a bit by my early 40s. And, of course, I'd been labeled. You know, I had this identity now that I had psoriatic arthritis. Right. And that... It was, I believed by then, that it was responsible for all my symptoms Mm -hmm. and that I just had to suck it up. (laughs) And and the rheumatologist also delivered a whopping nocebo or hex on me. She hexed me. She said, well, you know, you could go on like this for." maybe a decade, maybe more. And then she said like this, and then one day you won't be able to get out of bed. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. That's what she said. Well, that never happened. But that suggestion remained a very powerful one because this authority had told me this. And I think I'm losing my train of thought a little bit. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not. Okay. And so from then on, all of my symptoms, which grew and grew and grew and grew, I blamed on psoriatic arthritis. So I didn't run to any doctors. I never went back to the rheumatologist. I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And I just believed, well... I'm lucky I can get out of bed, Yeah, you know? I'm still doing this, I'm still doing that. But it got to the point where performing, practicing, and so forth, just it just wasn't right for me anymore. Yeah. So I stopped. Um, gradually, mm-hmm. I stopped. And what was so interesting, Caitlin, but so true, if we pay attention to Dr. (laughs) Sarno, was the less I played, the better my upper body symptoms felt. Mm. I mean, I had not been able to hold a coffee cup. I couldn't, I couldn't write. 
I had jobs outside of music at that time. And the pain of just using the computer, you know, it was just, I, I was really not to the point like Michael Galinsky's brother in sure. all the rage where he got rid of his car. I was still driving, yeah. but I couldn't I couldn't barely turn my neck around to look, you know, yeah. to see if there was a car behind me. Yeah, my whole upper body was extremely affected and it started to be less affected and feel better and better and better. And that's when I developed all my lower body oh. issues. Oh. So, yeah. So then the low back pain took over as the star. Mm-hmm. That was the low back pain. But I attributed that to my psoriatic arthritis. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now I've got some low back pain. Okay, that's that. And of course, the leg issues. Okay. Through all of this, I continued to be active. I exercised. Um, I started yoga. And it was hard, but I wanted to do it. And it was better than not being able to get out of bed. Right. So... That went on for quite some time. And at the time, I had a wonderful primary care physician. Now, I hardly ever went to him, of course, mm-hmm. you know, just maybe every couple of years for a checkup or something. And I wouldn't talk about the pain. Yeah. I guess I just, I just didn't. But one day... Years later, after at least 15 years of going the way I just told you, I said to him at an office visit, I'm tired of pain ruling my life. Yeah. And he he just stopped in his tracks because I'd never said anything before. Right. They're so invisible. (laughs) And so, so of course, he immediately orders the MRI. Mm-hmm. And then all of the bad news comes. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got severe spinal stenosis. You've got scoliosis. You've got bulging discs. You've got bone spurs. You've got... I can't even remember all of it. <laughs> it and, and I see that uh, he tells me to go to a neurosurgeon, and we're looking at my MRI, and I'm thinking, that can't be. Right. I mean, it was hor- horrifying looking, but he suggested trying physical therapy. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. Well, so I tried it. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a lot of restrictions. Yeah. That was the most disastrous was the restrictions. No yoga. No this. No that. So, okay. I I did listen to them, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. even though it didn't help at all. And I think it just 
kept getting more and more intense. Mm -hmm. And there were many issues in my life that I'm not going into during all of this that, of course, contributed hugely Mm -hmm. to my symptoms. And I'll mention one. Okay, from the wall of victory, we know that I'm well into my 60s. (laughs) Okay, when I was 57, well, when I was 55, I had graduated uh, from UCLA as a, you know, like 21-year-old or whatever. But at 55, I decided to go back to school and become a Spanish teacher. Oh, wow. Well, I knew I knew nothing about Spanish. Wow. If, if, but I did it, and it was fun going back to school, and I needed to travel to do that and blah, blah, blah. Well, I become a Spanish teacher, <laughs> a, a middle school Spanish teacher wow. at the age yeah, at the age of fifty-seven, it was so wrong for me. <laughs> oh my gosh! All I can say is, it was it was all wrong <laughs> because I love people, and I'm in an environment where I see that these kids aren't even considered people. Right. It's, it's all about babysitting. It's all about controlling. Mm-hmm. These children who I couldn't get through a day of middle school like they had to get through. It was torturous. And I made up my mind I wasn't going to be screaming and yelling at them and making them do stuff. And so I created all this stuff. It took me so much time and effort, but... I was glad with what I was able to do the two years I did it, but it was just the most depressing two years, and it put so much strain on my physical symptoms because you don't sit down if you teach middle school. You don't take a break. It's not possible if you have 35, 11, and 12-year-olds. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So do you you have any questions so far? (laughs) No, you're doing such a good job. And was this at the time when your back was just getting worse and worse? Was that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This was, this was just shortly before I told my doctor that I was tired of pain ruling my life. It was ruling my life. The the bullying that I witnessed, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. And all of that's affecting my entire mind body system. Yes. I'm 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 enraged. I'm just I'm just incredulous mm-hmm. at what's going on. And this wasn't an inner city school right. or anything like that. And they had dogs coming to sniff for for drugs. And we had alerts to watch for weapons. Wow. And the day I got the email about checking all these things for weapons and blah, 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 was the day I decided to quit. Yeah. So, yeah, because I realized 
but but here's the kicker. I'd been doing something that was completely wrong for me mm-hmm. for two years. Yeah. Thinking I've got to give it a chance. I've got to give it a chance. And it was wrong for me. Yeah. And I did I did it anyway <laughs> and my symptoms just went off right. the wall. Right. You know, it, it, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. you know. Well, no joke. So, right. <laughs> so, so anyway, that was the beginning of the lead-up to a couple years later. And I found another job that was much better for me. What? Yeah, that, that was fine. But the symptoms didn't abate, and I finally agreed to have a laminectomy because I was told by the neurosurgeon that the sciatica, which was the most, you you know... Intense, yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, as we know, that that experience is just... It's the worst, and I'd had it for years, mm-hmm. and I had it all down both my legs and to oh. my feet, oh. all the numbness and tingling, and then I had the piriformis part of it, mm. too. So it it was heavy duty, and when I was told that he felt that I was a great candidate for that because of the sciatica and so forth, he felt 95% sure that he could relieve that. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting. He said, your arthritis is so severe, you're going to always have back pain. Oh. So here's what happened, though, Caitlin. I had the surgery. I was so hopeful. Yes. And a year later... The sciatica had intensified if such a thing was possible, wow. but the back but the back pain was much better. Oh, good. <laughs> so that's kind of hilarious. Right. But I finally needed a cane, and my doctor told me to get a walker. Wow. And that was when I started Googling and found mm. Dr. Sarno. I wasn't going there. I just, I had that cane. I still went to the gym to like do water exercises mm. and stuff. I had my handicap sticker, my cane, and I'd stand out in the parking lot. And I was scared to even walk in wow. because it was so hard. Yeah, it's so hard to walk. So, so I just knew there was some other answer, and I found Dr. Sarno online. I got, it was either healing back pain or the mind-body prescription. I read them both in close succession, Mm -hmm. but by the time I read probably half of one of them, my fear was probably almost gone. Wow. 
I knew that it was me, that he, you know, people say this all the time, but he was talking about me. Yes. He, he knew. Yes. That was me, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I knew, for sure, that I would recover. I really knew I would. I, it wasn't a quick, easy recovery. Right. But the, the fear was gone. Yeah. That's like, so that was, the go fear, ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the fear piece was the biggest one for me as well. Just, you know, it, I could almost feel it leave my consciousness as I was reading the book. And it's really yes. quite amazing that it happened for you too, just being that you had so many nocebos thrown at you over the years, not to mention uh, an autoimmune, which is pretty, um, like lightly discussed in Sarno's literature. So was it hard for you to to accept the diagnosis? It sounds like it, it wasn't all that hard. Which diagnosis? Uh, the, TMS, uh, the TMS diagnosis. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not one bit. In fact, my whole life changed right then yeah. because I knew... At the time, I had been doing private therapeutic yoga Mm. for a few months. I couldn't get on the floor. I couldn't even put my shoes on. But this gal was extraordinary in the way she believed that everything I needed was inside me. Yeah. And somehow she always communicated that in one way or another. And comes Dr. Sarno, Mm. and with that sort of open door that she had provided, like a gateway for me, Mm. I just took that ball and ran with it. And wow, I got the Unlearn Your Pain book. I. And by the time I finished that, I was about 65% recovered, I'd say. And within a year, about, you know, 95%, whatever you want to say. Sure. Wow. So, and I stayed that way, and I'm still that way, except for the voice thing yeah. is what I call it. But um, I'm trying to think if there's something else that I can share before I switch gears <laughs> that could be helpful. Well, it also was the start of my becoming a coach. Oh, yeah. Because that happened almost right away. Yeah. Um, like, I started reading Sarno in December of 2011, mm-hmm. and by January, I'd read all his books, sure. and then I was starting starting on Dr. Schubner's. I guess I Googled and must have found that. Mm-hmm. And in the back of Dr. Schubner's book was a list of resources. Mm-hmm. And there was a list, a short, very short list of mind-body coaches. Mm-hmm. 
and now I'm in that list. Woo-hoo. But <laughs> yeah, so I'd only just started on this, and I already yeah. started to re- research what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah, <laughs> a mind body coach. Yeah. So, so I got started with signing up for trainings. Okay, that was in January. By March, I'd signed up for my first training that I started wow. that June. Yeah. You are a type and, T to the T. <laughs> but it was, guess what? It was the most fun I'd ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. It, it, it was, and it still is. It, it still is. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just kept... Um, you know, getting certifications sure. and learning and having fun with it. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, and so now your coaching practice, you're still doing that, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And um, have you had um, any clients that have just kind of blown you away? I know your story is pretty deep, <laughs> but have you had any really amazing Oh gosh! Yes. Yeah. Oh y- yes, I have, and everyone's pretty different. Yeah. I-, I had someone I was petrified to coach because, you know, I'm realizing I shouldn't tell certain things because even if I don't use a name. Some of the people sure. probably know about you. Sure. And the the one story is so unique and so incredible. I will just say that it was someone who was under psychiatric care mm-hmm. whose physician felt that coaching could be a good idea. And the results were incredible. Yeah. So... People, I, the sense of knowing that people reach out when they truly are, when the time is right, mm-hmm. is so true. And yet, we all want to help everybody, and right. it drives us crazy. Yeah, it drives us crazy to see those that we care for suffer. But if they're not ready, yep. they're not ready. Yep, Absolutely. Now, your most recent, I would say, mind-body manifestation is the um, shakiness in the voice. Can you talk a little bit about your journey with that particular symptom? Because I think that's pretty unique. Okay. Yes, I'll be happy to. Um, Almost two years ago, well, almost two years ago is when... I started to develop some voice issues, which followed a mild, very mild cold, uh, which my understanding is this is how this tends to manifest. Mm. However, um, prior to that, for at least a couple of years, I'd been dealing with some very serious terminal illness of my husband's brother, his Mm -hmm. only last living sibling, who had mental 
health issues, and we were his only support. Mm. And for two years straight, he he ultimately died. Mm -hmm. But for two years straight, there were probably about 18 hospitalizations. And some of it reminded me a little bit of some stories that Steve Ozanich tells about medical errors. Mm -hmm. And I felt quite enraged because I believed that some of this, and again, this is just a story. My belief might not be true, but that some of this would never have happened if he hadn't had mental health challenges, Mm -hmm. even though he had, he did not have intellectual disabilities. He did not. He had other types of issues that were very significant. But at any rate, um, there came a time in his care where he was being resuscitated a lot. Mm. And he was at the point where it seemed very, very cruel. And I, this wasn't for me Mm -hmm. to interfere in, even though my brother-in-law refused to sign a do not resuscitate order at that time. So watching what was going on and deciding to keep quiet Mm -hmm. at the same time, I believe I was repressing and suppressing a great deal of anger, frustration. And I realized as I was doing it, because here we are trained in all of this, Mm -hmm. I I realized that it was triggering stuff, very old traumas. And traumas, the trauma that many women today are experiencing, realizing how much we have suppressed ourselves. We haven't honored ourselves. When I was young, we just expected guys, if we went to a dance, we expected them to basically assault us. That's what it is. That's what it is. But I never even realized it. Right. I just, you know, so so here all that converges. Yes. And I developed this uh, vocal cord disorder, which I, from the get-go, believe is TMS. Mm-hmm. It's in Dr. Sarno's work, it's in Steve Ozanich's work, and it's in Howard Schubner's work. Mm-hmm. So... I just believe I'm going to recover. Right. And, you know, I'm going to sit with my emotions, uh, blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And, and um, well, I still haven't mm-hmm. recovered. But this condition has been my teacher. Yeah. And it has brought me and given me a lot. And I say to people, 
I'm on a strange mm-hmm. and wonderful path because there's gold to be mined yes. from every experience. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. But that's sort of the end of the story unless yeah. you have some questions. It was a long story. <laughs> so beautiful and so timely for what women as a whole are experiencing at least in the United States, um, or I guess westernized cultures, for centuries. This is a centuries-old problem of of suppression. Um, have you found that over the last few years you've been uh, more willing to speak your truth when your truth is arising? Of course. Yeah. It's interesting, though. I don't believe... I hesitated to speak my truth before, except in one way, and this is huge, Mm. and this is a huge part of the history of our voices. If I felt that what I was going to say would offend someone a great deal. I did not say it. And this is a huge part of this dynamic. Mm -hmm. From what I have learned, it's the feeling of feeling that to not speak our truth is dangerous, but to Speak our truth is also, quote, dangerous. So that's something that has changed with me. I was teaching a course in mind-body healing in a classroom setting for six weeks a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying something And one of the men walked out. Uh And that was a huge uh, wake-up call for me because for a couple of days, I noticed that dynamic of, oh, no, I offended him. Mm -hmm. I offended him. And then I stopped and looked at myself and realized, well, that's his issue. I, I didn't intend to offend anyone and what I said was extremely important. Yeah. So, so that was kind of the point, and that was before I developed the vocal cord problem. When I decided that it didn't matter if it could offend someone, right. because I can't possibly know, you know, the intent is not there to offend right. anyone. And so that... It's interesting because your question is so important, yeah. but there's so many, so many levels yes. to the answer. Yes. So I know that, you know, you're very wise and that you're able to see that your body is kind of just trying to speak 
through you. Um, do you get any other symptoms nowadays um, that are kind of little like uh, signposts of what you need to be looking at? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, over this time, you know, the last seven years, I've been able to connect so much more with the physical body and the emotional body, of course. Mm -hmm. So you can't separate the mind, body, emotions, and spirit. So here I am. There are certain parts of my body that I still tend to disconnect from, the ones from the age of five that still I'm not totally dissociated, but I see the tendency there. But over the last couple of weeks with what's been going on in our country, uh, yes, my body has had a lot to say about it, a lot. I've had uh, recurring symptoms that I haven't had for decades. I I had the wrist pain for three or four days. My wrists, especially the hand I write with, was just throbbing. Um, All this because of, again, the rage about Mm. it's just what's been happening is just beyond... Um, I wrote a piece about it. It's on my website. Yeah, I write about stuff like that because I will link to it. Okay, it's called let it. It's called let it hurt. Um, You know, I really wanted to hide, but my body wouldn't let me hide because it kept screaming. Pay attention. Pay attention. I got stomach aches. I'm not a stomach ache person. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I got stomach aches. I, quote, never get a headache. I had a short headache. I had a bunch of those upper body symptoms start. Um, Really strange stuff. Now, of course, I knew I had to pay attention. And most of it was very intermittent. It didn't last. But maybe this will help others see that, you know, the the body, what's that? Isn't there some book, a trauma book, the body body keeps keeps the the score? score. Yeah, the body keeps the score. I mean... I think mine keeps the score more every week, every week. But I do laugh about it because it's so obvious. Right. I mean, it's just completely a no-brainer. You know, it's just telling me, you've got to feel this pain. Yes. You, You can't shut it out. And that last shooting or the one before it, mm. I just wanted to shut that one out. Right. I I just thought that was enough. And then there was another one. Right. So I think there have been close to 300 mass shootings in 2018. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, put that, I put that in the piece, a yes. mass shooting. It's, yeah, so hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. So now when your body 
does speak through you. Um, are there any practices that you um, tend to move towards when when you find you need to look within? Yes, I I think this can be very individual, yes. of course. But for me, and I'm able to do this being older and not having little kids running around yes. or anything, <laughs> I'm able to find, you know, a quiet uh, place where I just pay attention mm. to whatever is coming up and I don't shout at it yeah. or tell it to go away because it's not, yeah, it's not a chronic symptom. Right. It's, it's like I need, I think I use this analogy, I might use it in that article, but I've used it before. I don't need to turn off the fire alarm. I need to walk into the flame. Yes. And as soon as I do that, things start to change. Mm -hmm. And I often get actual wisdom, you know, inner wisdom that, that may come in words like I decided to write the article. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly hadn't wanted to write one, but when I when I accept it, it's like loving what is or any of that stuff in the moment when I allow whatever's there to speak, I usually shift. Now it's not, it's not always right away. It's Mm -hmm. not always magical, uh, but uh, no, I shouldn't say that. It is always quote magical. <laughs> it just depends on how you define magical. That's true. Um, yeah. So, so I tend to like to do a very kind of kind of accepting, self compassionate mm. practice. You know, I'll put my one hand on my heart and one hand on my um, diaphragm or belly, and I'll just kind of be with myself. Yeah. I think that's and, uh, so powerful. Yeah, I happen to like that. Yes. But some people just need to step outside, sit outside, take a walk maybe. Mm-hmm. Some people... I think it's very different for different people. I agree. But I need to let the pain exist. And when I do, it starts to diffuse. Right. And I've got to say, sometimes it diffuses in about two minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing what non-resistance will do for you and how we can move towards the pain. I'll, I'll even ask for more of it. I'll, I'll say, bring it on, like have no mercy. (laughs) Like let's, let's just do this thing. And I'll kind of give my pain an inner embrace. And when I do that, I find that it, it just vanishes in, in that embrace. Um, 
because I've changed my relationship with it over the years. And, and that sounds like what you're doing too. Yes, I, I do that. And sometimes, you know, I understand with the chronic long lasting symptoms, how a lot of people have to decide to stand up to the pain. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I mean, I have done that mm -hmm. in a way that served me. Yeah. But, but with these tra more transient symptoms, even though they're very intense, mm -hmm. I know <laughs> they're, they're, they're messengers. Right. I'm sure of, yeah, I'm sure of it. So I need to honor them. I don't want to stand up to them. I want, as you said, to embrace them. Right, right. Yeah, I think in the beginning of my journey, I, I stood up to my inner bully, you know, and I, I would yell at the pain and tell it to go away. And that only worked for a little bit. And then and then I had to shift and kind of change my relationship a little bit more lovingly, because I think you can only handle so much um, more inner critic. <laughs> so, right, yeah. right. Yes, I, I definitely have found that that is my experience and mm. has become more and more my experience yeah. uh, over time. Yeah. Yes. So you, um, before we had hit record, you had mentioned that you um, had some experience with a somatic experiencing therapist. Um, yes. Do you mind talking a little bit about that and how your experience has been in that realm? Okay. Well, I decided after I had had the voice condition for about a year that I, I just could feel, you know, I don't, tend to try to figure things out. Mm -hmm. I mean, my body's already got it figured out. Right. And I try to listen. And one day I was just sitting around and I happened to know that we had this one practitioner here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, this is the work of trauma uh, specialist Peter Levine. Mm -hmm. And I've studied that work a great deal, yes. uh, a, lot, a lot of other work, and I actually use a lot of the same techniques myself with mm -hmm. my clients and with myself. But I needed that face-to-face -face connection yeah. with, someone, with someone with her training. Yes. So I have found that for me, it hasn't even in so much the tools because she's, yeah, she's probably had some tools. Unfortunately or fortunately, I probably know at least a hundred tools yeah. because so, <laughs> so much of my training has been on a somatic right. type level, utilizing so many of the same practices. But having someone that I had that connection with, yeah. Yeah. And having the, the therapeutic alliance. 
Yeah, and I think also I became more aware of how dissociated I could be. Mm. And that was quite a surprise for me. Yeah. That So I just sort of, again, I had the impulse to reach out to her, and it's been extremely helpful. Good. So, yeah, so I just followed that. I wish I could be more specific No, that's okay. For you. No, that's perfect. I was just curious to know your experience, and I don't know many practitioners, especially not in my area, that do that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something I've considered training for myself, but I will say, Caitlin, I just thought of something that I wasn't trained to do because sometimes I'm Skyping with clients, but Mm -hmm. often I'm not every facial expression that I have, if it's something that she gets a hit about, so to speak, she will say, it looks like you have a bad taste in your mouth or ah. something. What are you doing with your mouth? Yeah. I'll say, oh, my gosh. You yeah. know, it'll, again, be one of those huge moments of illumination. Mm-hmm. And I've created some of my own personal tools, yes. some, that, some that involve, you know, my mouth and things like that. <laughs> um, because the mouth and the jaw are, you know, seats of anger, right. huge, you know, huge seats of anger. So, but she'll notice all my body language and she'll, she'll ask a lot of questions about my body language and my, my just all of that, which is extremely, yes, that is so important yeah. that I probably should Skype all the time with people, but sure. not everybody wants right. to, because that can be extremely powerful. Yeah. Wow. So I don't want to keep you too long, so we'll wrap up in the next couple of minutes here, but I just wanted to ask if you had just one piece of advice to the folks listening who might be um, frustrated and maybe losing hope on their healing journey, what would you tell them? I would tell them to just accept the moment that as soon as we allow what's there to be there, even just in a moment, in a moment, then we become free to transform. Yes. And that's one of the most challenging parts of this journey, but I found that that was the critical part for me, and that we hold the answers within us. Our key to healing, the key is always there. It's just there. We just kind of have to pick it up. And it's right. It's just right there. But we need to kind of get 
still enough, quiet enough, and uh, again, that word, I, I once wrote this little list of words for myself, acknowledge, allow, and accept. Mm. And I still need to pay attention to that yeah. all the time for myself. Right. Yeah. We, yeah, we're all totally conditioned to, to not take that moment to <laughs> look, acknowledge, accept, and allow. It's just part of our training, <laughs> especially as little kids. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, and it's, it is a challenge. Yeah. It's a big challenge, but I think it's very profound and, um, yeah. Yes, I need to remind myself, too, of <laughs> yes, course. Yes, Yeah, the journey never really ends, you know. It's just ever-evolving, no, right? No, <laughs> I, I'm living proof. It's not over. It just isn't over. Yeah. We're human, and we have these bodies that are, they're full of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I, I just believe that so much. Yeah, me too. Well, Elaine, I just can't thank you enough for this really powerful story that you've shared with with us today. I'm just honored to have had the opportunity to get this out there because I think it's a message whose time has come. So thank you so much for being on the show Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. And are you currently accepting coaching clients in your practice? Yes, I am. If people, yeah, if you want to put in a link to my website, and I am happy to visit uh, with anyone who would like to chat, even if they're on the phone, even if they're not sure about Mm -hmm. whether coaching is right for them. Uh, Sometimes it's just good to have a connection and um, all that information is on my website. And I will put all the links um, on the show notes today. So I just want to say thank you again. It was such an honor to have you here today. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you. And you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Okay, you did the same. I will. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Elaine's story is, I think, so many women's stories, so many people's stories of having something happen to you especially at such a young age where talking about it isn't even an option, where speaking up isn't even an option. And even if it were, who believes you? And so for any, anybody listening today who has their own story of, of being silenced or just feeling like, you could never talk about what, what happened to you. That happened to me, too. I've never posted a Me Too story, but I have a few of them. And staying silent 
felt much safer than ever talking about it. And, and that's okay. And I think, you know, for me in this TMS journey of mine, I was able to finally talk about it um, to my journal, at least. I was able to finally process some of the, the anger and some of the um, moral outrage that I never expressed back when it happened. And I, I think that that's such a beautiful thing to do. Um, but I think for me, what was more beautiful was the forgiveness piece. And although I might have consciously forgiven the people who have hurt me over the years, I think the most powerful piece of forgiveness for me was forgiving myself for ever thinking that I did anything wrong. Forgiving myself for not fighting back because you know, a lot of women have this experience where they find they leave their bodies during uh, an assault. And that's what happened to me. And I think that's uh, a part of the divine wisdom of our, our bodies is that we're able to leave that situation while it's happening and revisit it later on an emotional level. And so I forgave myself for ever blaming myself again. So thank you, Elaine, for sharing your powerful story. And uh, yeah, your story is just so many, so many of our stories. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and your voice. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next week.